0: Welcome back. Today, we're back in South Carolina. Some of you miss being in South Carolina as we have been covering the Paltrow trial over on my YouTube channel with daily live streaming. And I've seen so many comments saying, wait, no, take us back to Murdoch. What is happening in this civil case? It's gone wild. So if you want coverage of that case, it's over on my YouTube channel and on the Quick Bits podcast where I have a rundown of week one. Today, we are looking at things that have happened during that trial coverage. Alec Murdoch asking for more money to pay his attorneys to appeal his criminal conviction. And then we are going to talk about all of the updates in the investigation into the homicide of Stephen Smith. This came up some and tangentially to the Alec Murdoch trial. So, for those of you that started following the Murdoch saga during the trial, this is a case you are going to start to hear a lot about, but maybe haven't heard a lot about up till this point. So we're going to be breaking those two things down today. And I'm going to try to keep it succinct because trial coverage is tired. Some of you are going to be like, Emily, you said after murder you were taking a break from live trial coverage right and then i watched opening statements and got very invested into these lawyers during the paltrow case so that's what's going on over on youtube but today let's head back to south carolina to talk about Murda. welcome to the emily show i'm emily d baker the internet's go-to legal analyst and big fan of the words. I've been a licensed attorney for over 17 years. I'm a former prosecutor and I break down the legal side of pop culture and entertainment stories we can't stop talking about. We should just get into it. Let's go. Is it time for some spring cleaning around the facial hair? Well, maybe that's a year round thing, but now's a really good time to get your products for it with today's sponsor, Manscaped. Not only did Manscaped just launch their incredible new beard hedge pro kit, but they also launched the Weed Whacker 2.0. You know this is one of my favorite products. It is an incredible nose hair trimmer. Look, if you don't think you need a nose hair trimmer, get one, trim it, try it, and you will instantly see the difference. Wrangle the beast. And for all of our bearded friends, it is time to get that into shape with the Beard Hedger Pro Kit. And this kit comes with everything you need to keep that luxurious face locks in line. The Beard Hedger doesn't have any of those fiddly plastic bits. It's just one guard with a click wheel to get you to 20 different lengths. It also comes with beard shampoo and conditioner, a beard oil, and as your free gifts, you will get the incredible beard brush and comb, plus the scissors and the delightfully scented beard balm. So if you are ready to try the products for yourself or for someone who you know needs a little spring cleaning, Use code LAWNERD to get 20% off at manscaped.com. That's code LAWNERD to get 20% off at manscaped.com. Let's get back into today's episode. The first thing we are going to talk about today is this new motion from Alec Murdaugh. This motion was filed in the Mallory Beach civil case because that's the case where there is a receivership. In the Mallory Beach civil case, Money from Alec Murdoch was liquidated and put into a receivership, and that is where he is seeking to get his funds to pay for his criminal appeal. So we're going to go through that motion and then some of the lawyer commentary on that motion from Mark Tinsley and Justin Bamberg. So we're going to do that now. Let's pull this motion up. This was filed on March 21st, 2023. The estate of Mallory Beach versus all of the defendants. This is defendant Richard Alexander Murdoch's motion for payment of attorney's fees and costs from untainted funds. Defendant Richard Alexander Murdoch by and through his undersigned counsel hereby requests an order directing the receivers to transfer $160,000 from the receiver's escrow account to pay for attorney's fees and costs to appeal his recent convictions and sentence imposed in state versus Murdoch. And then it gives a state number or the case number, this court previously entered an order permitting Murdoch to liquidate his 401k retirement account with $600,000 of the funds to be used for the costs of defending the murders and related charges. So his 401k retirement account was liquidated. $600,000 of it went to defending the murder case and related charges. The balance of the funds from the liquidation of the retirement account 424941 and 24 was deposited with the receivers on or about December 22nd, 2022. On March 3rd, Murdaugh was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. Can you believe that was just earlier this month? I feel like it was seven lifetimes ago. On March 3rd, Murdaugh was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences without parole following a six-week trial that began on January 23rd, 2023 in Calton County. And then Murdoch's attorneys have filed their notice of appeal, not their full appeal. The funds received from Murdoch's retirement account in defense of the murders and related ca- uh, related charges at trial have been exhausted. Specifically, the undersigned paid $518,722.50 in out-of-pocket defense costs and trial counsel received attorney's fees in the amount of $81,277.50. The undersigned will submit a full accounting of these expenses under seal if requested. The attorney's fees received by counsel is grossly insufficient to cover the actual attorney's fees incurred. So $518,000 in costs, experts and hard fixed costs, only $80,000 in attorney's fees, which for a six-week double homicide trial is quite low. The undersigned will submit a full accounting if requested, the attorney's fees received by counsel is grossly insufficient to cover the actual attorney's fees incurred, preparing for and defending Murdoch during the six-week trial. The defense team consisted of four attorneys and two paralegals. In addition, there were attorneys and office support staff working off-site supporting the defense team. A conservative estimate of the total attorney's fees incurred during the trial alone is $700,000, footnote one. So they spent over $500,000 in costs and said that the attorney's fees incurred for this defense is over $700,000. The footnotes has a conservative estimate of 60 hours per week for four attorneys, totaling 240 hours per week. 240 hours per week for six weeks amounts to 14,400 hours. Using an average hourly rate of $500, the total fees for just the trial attorneys comes to $700,000. The motion then goes on to say this does not include any compensation for legal services preparing the case for trial. The undersigned request $160,000 to pay for fees and expenses to represent Murdaugh on appeal. Below is a breakdown. First, court reporter trial transcript, $26,329.50. Estimated cost of printing copies, footnote two, of the record on appeal, fifteen. dollars thousand dollars. This is order number two. Um uh, or footnote number two. By order dated August 25th, 2021, the South Carolina Supreme Court suspended the requirement that appellants file 15 copies of the record on appeal and final briefs. See the order number. While the order does not require Murdoch to provide any copies of a document at the time of filing, he's obligated to provide copies of the same Upon order or request of the appellate court, accordingly, the undersigned has included the expenses that will be incurred should additional copies contemplated by the rules be requested. $15,000 in copies and and collating. It then says legal analysis of the transcript, 80 hours, uh, $40,000. Legal research, 40 hours, $20,000. Preparation of the briefs, they're estimating 80 hours, $40,000, and then prepare for oral argument, 35 hours. 17,500. And then they argue that Murdoch has a Sixth Amendment right to his choice of counsel and go on to talk about the fact that if these fees are not given to Murdoch, the fees that are quote unquote untainted funds in his 401k, then his case will fall on the overworked office of the appellate public defender, saying that the um, appellate public defender's office handles approximately a thousand. Uh, appeals annually. There's only 10 appellate attorneys employed, giving them an average of a hundred appeals per attorney per year. That's a fuck ton of appeals for those attorneys. So they're saying if this court denies Murdoch's request, his appeal will fall upon the overworked attorneys and staff at the division of appellate defense, costing taxpayer money and diluting the limited resources away from defendants who are truly indigent. So don't Murdoch has the money, is what they're arguing. It's in the receivership. Just give it to the attorneys. That's what they're arguing. The conclusion is that Murdoch has a fundamental constitutional right to hire counsel of his choice whom he can afford to pay from untainted funds. This court has under its control through the court appointed receivers, Murdoch's untainted funds sufficient to pay the fees and costs of appeal. That's signed by Dick Harputlian and Jim Griffin. And then Exhibit A is attached and Exhibit A is the notice of appeal filed saying, hey, we're appealing. We know it's going to take some time to get the transcripts, so we won't see an appellate brief for quite a while yet. Let's go ahead and talk about how that motion went over with attorneys who represent, well, Mallory Beach's family and other victims of Alec Murdoch. Mark Tinsley told Law and Crime that the court will ultimately decide what happens with the money, but indicated that the transfer of funds is beyond what was originally agreed. So this gives us a bit more context from Tinsley's perspective. Quote When Alex's lawyers asked us to agree to the liquidation of the 401k account, it was based on the offer of a certain sum coming back into the receiver account fund for the victims. They knew or should have known how much their costs were going to be. The fact that they were wrong or spent unwisely, or whatever the case may be, I can absolutely see Martinsley saying that, is not a material change in circumstances that would warrant the court undoing its prior order. That would warrant setting aside the agreement of the parties as it relates to allowing the funds from the 401k to be received by Alex Counsel. That's what Mark Tinsley had to say. But Justin Bramberg had quite a lot more to say and released that statement over on Twitter. And Bramberg said, on behalf of my clients, many victims of his financial crimes, including the late Hakeem Pickney and the late Blondell Gary and others reliving their personal trauma that are still with us. I will be formally objecting to Alec Murdoch's request and then attaches four images um, that write up his thoughts on this that seem to be screen grabs from Facebook that we're going to go over. He says, I will be formally objecting to Alex Murdoch's request for an order directing the receivers to transfer $160,000 from the receiver's escrow account to pay for attorney's fees and costs for appeal. His filing states, "Quote here, Murda has sufficient quote innocent property to pay the undersigned his counsel of choice to represent him in appeal of his convictions and the sentences, as noted above, four hundred and twenty-four thousand nine hundred and forty-one dollars and twenty-four cents from Murda's four hundred one k retirement account was deposited into the receiver's escrow funds. These funds are legitimate, untainted funds." He says, "I absolutely disagree." None of Alex's money is untainted, in my opinion, based on his admissions during his murder trial. I also don't believe him not being allowed to take money that could go to his victims for himself instead violates his constitutional rights. To the contrary, Alec getting that money to fight an appeal only victimizes his victims once again. It goes on to say, how can Alex say his 401k funds are quote unquote legitimate when an obvious contributing factor to his ability to even Put that kind of money away over the course of his legal career was the simple fact that he was actively stealing millions from clients and using that stolen money to pay for stuff he desired instead of relying solely on any legitimate earned income. Let me get this straight. I'm going to earn legit money doing cases the right way and put some of the legit money away in my retirement or I'm going to do business deals with that legit money and put it away for retirement. And then I'm going to get illegitimate money by stealing from clients on other cases and use that illegitimate money for stuff I desire, which lets me keep putting more legit earned money into my retirement since I don't have to spend the legit money on stuff I desire because I'm getting illegitimate money I stole to get stuff I desire. Got it. Not. Yes, that's what he said. He goes on to say he was paid a six-figure salary by his former law firm earned credit for legal fees the firm received on cases that he stole money on, got credit for those fees, and in turn, he received an annual bonus on those fees despite his unconscionable lying, backstabbing, and cheating his clients out of money. These people literally cried, bled, had surgery, or suffered through a funeral to get. Absolutely, hell no, that's not right. He goes on to say, as far as I'm concerned at this point, Alec can apply for a public defender just like anybody else with no real money for a lawyer is forced to do every single day in this world, including most of the people prosecuted by his own family when they were solicitor over the last hundred years, unless that person could get a lawyer to represent them for free or broker a deal where a private lawyer handles the case in exchange for something other than cash money. Ain't nobody getting special financial treatment. In the world of average citizen, none of my people who got hemmed up with no financial resources and none of yours. It's grandmothers out here mortgaging their homes to pay for lawyers every day for their kid or grandkid in the low-income, working and middle-class segment of society. It's not his victim's fault that Alec no longer has any property to mortgage because he was a crook and got caught after a decade of doing dirt, he says, and it definitely ain't any victim's fault fault if nobody in his own family with money is willing to mortgage their own homes to give him their cash to keep paying lawyers. Does that mean it should come out of a receiver pot that could go to his victims at the end of the day? Absolutely not. And finally, he says Alec Murdoch should not be entitled to deprive his financial victims of the limited amount of funds available, not a single penny, Bitcoin, Dogecoin, or anything else of value, so he can continue trying to get or keep himself out of prison he says the funds in the receivership should be solely for his victims the costs associated with the work the receivers are doing etc because he owes these victims far more money than he has money to go around he says we should have put a lien on those beef sticks and stuff he was buying while in jail awaiting trial he confessed judgment to the Satterfield family to the tune of four million dollars and he still owes them on that as far as I know too The the crack about the beef sticks is because that's what he talks about in a lot of his jail calls that have been recorded and made publicly available. So he's buying commissary. So he still has money to buy commissary. He is not someone who is without funds, um, but he makes a very fair point. Uh, Well, let me finish and then we'll talk about what Justin had to say. He goes on to say, if we need to file lawsuits to seek to freeze everything as to the receivership monies and just let juries in Colton and Hampton counties decide how much every single person should be awarded, then so be it. I will probably ask for a billion dollar jury award per client victim of Alec to both hold Alec personally accountable for what he did to them and also send the strongest punitive message legally possible to deter anyone out there from ever doing to people what Alec did to them as they lay up severely injured, paralyzed, or in a coffin while he was betraying them. This man doesn't respect money, so it's not even about that. It's about the principle. And that is the end of the statement that he posted on Twitter. Again, he is one of the attorneys that you have seen in some of the documentaries. He was in court quite a lot of days and represents a number of the victims' clients of Alec Murdoch. Very strong words, but he's absolutely right in that most families are mortgaging homes to try to do this. Alec Murdoch is trying to get to his receiver's fees, and we've learned two things. One, they're going to argue that these aren't, quote, clean funds, and there's no way to track that they're clean funds, even if you wouldn't be able to get to them in certain types of judgments, that there was an agreement with the court that the 401k funds, some of it would go into receivership. And we learned that there is going to be a fight over this money. And while Jim and Poot are probably entitled to a lot more attorney's fees that they didn't get, Alec Murdaugh's victims are entitled to a fuck ton more of money that they never got. So at the end of the day, Jim and Poot knew that they were signing up for someone who probably couldn't pay them. These clients did not have the ability to make that choice because they didn't know that this was a lawyer who was going to steal from them. So when you look at who should be at the end of the line for money, I respect the work that Jim and Poot have done, but they had a choice and the victims did not. And on that note, we are going to have a thank you to our sponsor and move on to talking about Stephen Smith. You know, one of my core values is make it easy. And today's sponsor makes it so easy to beautify your home and yard. You are going to love it. I have absolutely loved it. FastGrowingTrees.com's plant experts curate thousands of easy-to-grow plants, shrubs, shrubberies, and tree varieties for your unique climate. That's right. They help you determine what will grow best in your growing zone. But they're not just incredible for your outdoor landscaping, but for indoors as well. And you can search everything from low light to pet friendly. And you're not trying to fit the plants or trees that you're getting into your car and hauling them home. They're all delivered directly to your door. Do you see a theme here? We love to make it easy. We love to bring it directly to the door. Not only did I find an incredible pink lemonade blueberry bush, but a crocodile fern that has done amazing in my home which is a real struggle because I have very curious cats and mostly low light and non-direct light situations in my house. And Fast Growing Trees has a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee. So you know everything will look great when it gets to you and gets out of the box. Join over 1.5 million Happy Fast Growing Trees customers. Go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash now to get 15% off your entire order. That's 15% off your entire order at fastgrowingtrees.com slash lawnard. Tell me what space you're beautifying indoors or outdoors. All right, let's get back to today's episode. Just by way of a quick overview of the Stephen Smith case, before we get into everything that happened after the March 19th press conference of Eric Bland, here is a brief overview of this case. On July 8th, 2015, at around 4 o'clock a.m., Stephen Smith was discovered uh, face down on Sandy Run Road by a passing motorist who then called 911. This location is about 10 miles away from the Murdaugh home at Moselle. In the past, I have talked about this case because it was part of the timeline with regard to the Murdaugh murders because it has always been some rumbling about whether or not any of the Murdaugh's, including Buster, were involved in this, what Randy knew because he did show up at the crime scene, and the fact that Randy represented clients who filed that they had a collision with a deer on this road that evening. But also because this case was reopened on June 23rd, 2021. Remember, the murders of Maggie and Paul happened on June 7th, 2021. When this case Was reopened, Sled said, "Quote: Sled has opened an investigation into the death of Stephen Smith based on information gathered during the course of the double murder investigation of Paul and Maggie Murdaugh." That was the statement from Sled in June of 2021, not even 20 days after the murder of Maggie and Paul. So, of course, people were looking for Murdaugh connections. When SLED themselves said, something came up, something was gathered, information was gathered during the course of that investigation. But from 2015 to 2021, there have been a lot of questions and not a lot of answers. I have looked through documents that Fitz News has provided, including the report that we're going to get into later from the S. CHP. It's so hard to say. I'm so used to saying California Highway Patrol that putting the S in front of CHP is so confusing, but the South Carolina Highway Patrol, we're going to take a look at their file. And I have had the opportunity because Fitz News posted it to take a look at the autopsy report as well. But we're going to go through the press release. We're going to go through Buster Murdoch's statement about this. And then we're going to get into SLED's March 22nd, 2023 statement about this case before we get into my thoughts on the reports that I have reviewed. If you recognize the name Eric Bland, it's because he is one of the attorneys that came up in this trial or because you are familiar with him from news media and podcasts, but he represents Gloria Satterfield's family. So he is not unfamiliar with fighting for justice for families that have been entangled with the Murdos. This is the press release by Bland Richter Law Firm to represent Sandy Smith and Stephen Smith death investigation. This is from Columbia, South Carolina, March 19th. Bland Richter founders Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter and Stephen Smith mother Sandy Smith will be hosting a virtual press conference Monday morning at 8.30 a.m. EST regarding the Stephen Smith death investigation. Bland Richter is a leading law firm in South Carolina and they announced today that they will represent Sandy Smith in the investigation into the death of her son, Stephen Smith. This announcement comes after Smith's family raised funds to exhume his body and perform an independent autopsy to determine the cause of death. Stephen Smith was found dead on a South Carolina road in 2015, and questions were raised about his death during the investigation into the murders of Maggie and Paul Murdoch in 2021. State police reopened Smith's case in June 2021 after discovering new evidence during the double murder investigation. Smith's mother, Sandy Smith, opened a GoFundMe page in March to raise money for an independent autopsy after state police first said that Stephen Smith had car trouble, was walking for help, and got hit by a car. Smith's family believes he was murdered and they want an unbiased look at his body to get an accurate determination of his cause of death based on facts. At the date of the release, the GoFundMe has raised nearly $60,000. And I will attach in the notes and in the description that GoFundMe if it's something that you are interested in supporting the Smith family in this investigation. It goes on to say the Bland-Richter law firm has a long history of success in representing clients in high-profile cases, including multiple victims in the Alec Murdoch saga, which has captured the nation. Quote, it's the Smith family's turn for justice and for real answers about what happened to Stephen. Hit and run? We don't think so. Injustice hides in the shadows. Justice seeks the daylight. A new dawn is rising in the Stephen Smith case, added founders Eric Bland and Ronnie Richter. Bland, along with award-winning journalist Mandy Matney and Liz Farrell, are co-hosts of the Cup of Justice podcast, which sprung from the Murdoch Murders podcast, a primary source of information about the crimes associated with the Murdoch family. Official questions over Stephen's death have resurfaced while agencies were investigating the murders of Maggie and Paul. Eric Bland said, quote, we are honored to represent Sandy Smith in this matter. It is Sandy and Stephen's turn for justice and to finally get answers. Answers are what's needed in this case, because the answers originally had were clearly not the truth. And that is something that we have seen Sandy Smith talk about time and time again. This was not a hit and run. This doesn't have the indicia of being a hit and run. There is more going on in this case than what was originally thought. After that, on March 20th, whether it was in response to this or not, I don't know. You let me know what you think in the comments and down below, whether or not this is a response. But let's look at Buster Murdoch's statement. This was posted to Jim Griffin's Twitter. Statement of Buster Murdoch. Quote, I have tried my best to ignore the vicious rumors about my involvement in Stephen Smith's tragic death that continue to be published in the media as I grieve over the brutal murders of my mother and brother. I love them so much and miss them terribly i haven't spoken up until now because i want to live in private while i cope with their deaths and my father's incarceration note from me it's interesting he didn't say conviction and incarceration only incarceration it goes on to say before during and since my father's trial i have been targeted and harassed by the media and followers of this story which is bullshit don't harass buster He goes on to say, this has gone on far too long. These baseless rumors of my involvement with Stephen and his death are false. I unequivocally deny any involvement in his death and my heart goes out to the Smith family. I am requesting that the media immediately stop publishing these defamatory comments and rumors about me. Unfortunately for Buster, that is not going to happen. People are going to continue to speculate. What I will say is the internet harassment, the fact that he is having people taking photos of him through telephoto lenses, through the uh, windows in his home. He does deserve his privacy. He does deserve to live without harassment. And hyper-focusing on Buster, I don't think is the answer to finding what happened in the Stephen Smith case. I am hoping that because Alec Murdaugh is in jail because it does seem the tide is turning in what people are willing to investigate in South Carolina. Maybe those who know something will come forward. This is a difficult case. It is a 2015 case. We are in 2023 as uh, people move, people leave, memories fade. It's going to be a difficult case, but it's clear that answers were not originally given. The cause of death originally being hit and run does not make sense following all of the information in this case and following the highway patrol's investigation. If you're going to look at a roadside hit and run, highway patrol has the most experience with them. When highway patrol is saying this really doesn't look like a hit and run, you have to wonder how it got ruled that way. Let's take a look at what SLED had to say on March 22nd, and then get into those reports from Highway Patrol. I am looking at the SLED press release from March 22nd, 2023. It says, SLED provides details in Stephen Smith homicide investigation. In the interest of accuracy, understanding, and the continued mission of seeking justice for victims of crimes, the South Carolina Law Enforcement Division SLED is providing the following information. On July 8th, 2015, the Hampton County Sheriff's Office requested SLED's crime scene unit to process a death scene involving a body that was found on Sandy Run Road in Hampton County. SLED crime scene agents were dispatched from SLED's headquarters and responded to the scene. This doesn't seem to be unusual there that SLED is called in to lend crime scene support. It goes on to say, upon arrival, SLED crime scene agents process the crime scene. The primary mission of SLED is to provide quality, manpower, and technical assistance to law enforcement agencies and to conduct investigations. SLED's Crime Scene Unit routinely responds to requests for assistance from local law enforcement and fellow state agencies to process crime scenes across South Carolina. The involvement of SLED's Crime Scene Unit at a scene does not automatically indicate a SLED investigation. On July 8, 2015, SLED crime scene agents attended the autopsy of Stephen Smith, where medical examiner Dr. Aaron Persnell concluded Mr. Smith died from being struck by a motor vehicle. Due to the medical examiner's determination, the Hampton County Sheriff's Office requested South Carolina Highway Patrol, SCHP, to investigate the death. SLED was not requested by the Hampton County Sheriff's Office or the South Carolina Highway Patrol to investigate the death in 2015. On June 23rd, 2021, SLED opened an investigation into the death of Stephen Smith after SLED agents received information about his death and subsequently reviewed the SCHP investigative file. So there are two things there. Somewhere before June 23rd, they received information about his death and then reviewed the case file. From SCHP case notes, it was apparent that SCHP did not believe Mr. Smith's death was a hit and run by a motor vehicle. SLED's investigation into the death of Mr. Smith was never closed. It remains a homicide investigation. Progress has been made, and SLED's investigation is active and ongoing. Since the beginning of SLED's investigation, the goal has been to find out how Mr. Smith died and to find the person or persons responsible for the death. To that end, SLED Chief Mark has assigned additional SLED Low Country Region agents to work this case in hopes that those who may know what happened to Mr. Smith are more willing to speak freely now than they may have been in 2015 or 2021. Isn't that telling? That Sled has said maybe now, after Alec Murdoch has been convicted, maybe now people are willing to talk. And then it gives their tip line and their tip line phone number. When we talk about this death being ruled a hit and run, the cause of death from the Department of Pathology from the coroner was blunt head trauma due to motor vehicle crash, pedestrian versus vehicle. That was the cause of death. The manner of death was left undetermined. The manner of death would be natural homicide, suicide, et cetera, Uh, undetermined. So undetermined is the manner of death, which is interesting because if it is a motor vehicle crash, pedestrian versus vehicle, should be categorized as a homicide. In this context, when we're talking about a coroner report, the manner of death homicide means at the hands of another. So if it's a motor vehicle crash, someone's driving the car. It's not driving itself. I mean, even if it is driving itself, this was 2015. It wasn't driving itself. But even if it were driving itself, it still has somebody in the driver's seat. This gets more complicated as technology progresses, but it's at the hands of another. Suicide being at one's own hands. Undetermined being undetermined. Accident being exactly that, an accident. But if it's a pedestrian versus vehicle, why is the manner of death here not just ruled a homicide? Why undetermined? That doesn't make sense to me. From what we see in the... Autopsy report, and we're not going to go through the entire thing. The public portion of the autopsy report, I should say. There are abrasions and contusions on the right and left arms. There is a uh, contusion or a bruise on the right temporal lobe, and then extensive damage to the skull, but not damage to other bones in his body. Um, In My experience, and for those of you that are new here, I was a deputy district attorney in LA for over 10 years. And for those of you that have been here a long time, you've heard me talk about the number of motor vehicle cases at one point in my career, particularly that I ended up dealing with Um, death involved motor vehicle cases. But we're not seeing other broken bones. We're not seeing someone who looks like they have been in a vehicle versus pedestrian. And South Carolina Highway Patrol, let's pull up their report real quick and take a look at what they've said. Because what they say in their first notes, this is like page two, three of their report. These are the first remarks. On July 8th, between the hours of 0100 and 0400, an incident took place involving the victim and and unknown subjects. The victim was found in the middle of Sandy Run Road, deceased from some sort of blunt force trauma to the head. Responded to scene. I saw no vehicle debris, skid marks, or injuries consistent with someone being struck by a vehicle. The victim's shoes were loosely tied and both were still on, which is very telling. If you are hit by a vehicle with enough force to cause that type of a head injury, you would be knocked out of your shoes. It also says after consulting with MAIT, we see no evidence to suggest the victim was struck by a vehicle. The incident is still under investigation with supplemental report to follow. That's the first supplement. It's a few sentences that lay out very clearly that the South Carolina Highway Patrol sees no indicia that this is a hit and run. This is blunt force trauma to the head, more consistent with not a vehicle. Because again, you don't have other broken bones. You don't have gravel. You don't have skid marks. You don't have... Damage to a vehicle, it's an odd thing, and this determination didn't sit well from the beginning. How and why the coroner report says that, I don't know, or the pathologist report says that, I don't know, because the coroner part of it said the body was warm and this is where rigor was. So, the coroner reports the coroner's input to the pathologist seems consistent with what we saw from the trial. It doesn't actually say how the body was determined to be warm. All it says is warm to the touch. So whether or not we're dealing with coroner armpits, I don't know. But the pathologist making the hit and run determination, but then saying it's not a homicide does not sit well with me and hasn't. There are questions here. I don't think the only answer to these questions, though, is necessarily Buster Murdoch. What we are seeing um, from multiple reports is that they will be looking more deeply into communications on the devices of Stephen Smith, a phone and an iPad. Hopefully they will be able to track down more information from what Stephen Smith was doing in the days leading up, who he was spending time with, what they were doing, who those people are connected with, and start to figure out why this happened, because this isn't a hit and run. And answers are really not just what any victim's family deserves, but the only thing that really helps. And so often, there aren't any answers. And the answers that there are just aren't good. Even in the Murdoch case, there's a conviction. But are there really answers? A lot of evidence was presented But the big question often is why. And I hope through their investigation that Sandy Smith is offered some glimpses into why her son's life was taken. This is going to be an ongoing case. You are going to hear a lot about it. I am going to keep an eye on it because it has become part of this story with the Murdoch family. No matter how connected they are because of what Sled said at the beginning in 2020. Well, that wasn't the exact beginning, but in 2021, that they said information found during the investigation of the double murders led them to open an investigation. Sled didn't investigate it before. So I guess it's not technically reopened because Sled wasn't investigating originally. But something made Sled open this investigation and treat it as a homicide, not a hit and run. What is SLED going to find now that people are willing to talk? And I hope that they do. I hope that if anyone knows more about who Stephen Smith was hanging out with, what conversations he was having, what might be found on his phone, any more context for where he was that night, because it doesn't seem that his car ran out of gas and he was just walking down the road. So how did he end up where he was and who was he with leading up to his death? Thank you for being here. I know this is a slightly shorter episode for me, and I appreciate you hanging with me on this one. Thank you for being here. Thank you for being a Lonard. Let me know what questions you have about this case and what you hope to see happen. I think that with all open investigations, keeping an open mind is powerful and asking a lot of questions is powerful, even if they lead down unlikely roads, even if they lead against narratives that we might be familiar to, or we might have already heard when you have a case from 2015, you need to keep every option open to help get answers for Sandy Smith. And I very much hope that's done in this investigation. And we will see and we will continue to ask those questions. So with that, thank you for being here and thank you for being a law nerd. I appreciate you. All right. Let us say goodbye. May your Wi-Fi be strong. May your toilet paper be plentiful. May your microgreens not go bad in the refrigerator immediately. Emily, that one sounds deeply personal. It is, yeah, it is. What? like this last round, I forgot I had them. Microgreens are kind of like avocados in that way. They just they they you can't just hold on to them for when you might be interested in them two weeks later, you need to eat those quickly. I'm trying to eat green things, people. I'm trying. I'm trying. I've been covering trials for too many days. Green things. So may your microgreens last longer in your fridge and may you eat them when you bring them home from the store. May your family be well and may the odds be ever in your favor. I will talk to you in the next one. Law nerds, keep asking questions. You can find more Lawner goodness in our private Law nerd community over at LawnerdsUnite.com. And if you want to stay up to date with everything I'm covering, you can follow me on social media at the Emily D. Baker. I stream on YouTube on Tuesdays and Thursdays, and I recap those streams for those of you a little pressed for time over on the QuickBits podcast and QuickBits YouTube channel. Thanks for being a Law nerd.